Welcome back to Trad Man, everybody. I'm your host, Mark. This is my co- I, I'm sorry. I'm not the host. <laughs> I'm the co-host. And he is the co-host. And together, we equally co-host this beautiful podcast called Trad Man. Equally. But I say guys, that I because... So, I am so cashed. I have had the week <laughs> from HE Double Hockey Sticks. And so if my brain appears fried um that's because it is so 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 this episode you may end up being pinky and i'll be brain yeah absolutely all yeah. right uh, that'll be a nice switch and probably pretty scary for people <laughs> how um, you doing mark i, oh, I know man. i know you had a long week uh usually me and you uh talk pretty frequently during the week at least at a minimum with uh memes and stuff but this week it seemed like you were you were out of pocket you were I had, slammed huh? i had 20 i had 20 trials this week and trial is not, I mean, trial, that's not counting prep work, it takes a lot of prep work yeah. and it's, it's a very stressful thing. Um, 20 of them is a lot to do in a week. And uh, I didn't have any time to play on my phone or, or check text messages or, oh, what a mess. Yeah. I sent you that uh, at one part during the week, I sent Mark a text message from that movie, Cool Runnings, where he's like, Sanka, you dead man. <laughs> <laughs> And he comes up. Dead. He comes out from this this whole crash of this this race he had. All this wood is all over him. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, or no, nah, man, or something like that. But anyway, that's just how I envisioned Mark just moving everything off of him, being like, I'm here, and then went back <laughs> into seclusion. Yeah, I, I was trying to text people, let them know I'm still alive, but I didn't have a lot of time to chat. But um, but anyway, good I appreciate to have your patience, man. It's good to be back. Uh, before we begin, we'll say a quick prayer and, uh, today we're going to, tonight we're going to pray the, our father. So, uh, feel free to join along with us. Um, and then I have a, a few reflections about the, our father that I was just sort of thinking about that I thought were kind of interesting. And then, um, we'll, I'll share those and then we can get into our topic, uh, in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. Amen. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, um, probably the, the people who heard him speak and teach and preach for the first time, that had to have been such an amazing uh incredibly moving experience especially for a first century jew um because the prayers that that jews typically pray when they pray to god they sort of pray about god right so like when they when they'll say um uh, uh, like a, a a blessing at meal time right they'll they'll say baruch atah adonai elohenu melech haolam um blessed is the lord our god um the king of the universe through you know who, through and uh, and it's like that they're mostly saying things about god um the lord is my shepherd i shall not want or the most famous prayer in in judaism the shema prayer shema yisrael adonai eloheno um here o israel the lord is our god the lord is one and then here comes jesus of nazareth and he talks di- not, not only does he talk directly to god he invites us when you pray, pray like this. And he gives us a prayer that is a very simple conversation like a son would have with a father. 
that had to have been so revolutionary and comforting and moving at the same time to hear uh, the Messiah invite us back into that type of kinship with the Lord. And, and I was thinking about that when we, you know, there's a, the prayer in the mass in the, in the traditional, right. That we pray is, um, preceptu salitaribus moniti et divine institutioni formati audemus dicere. We have the audacity to say, because it's an audacious thing to, to call Yahweh your father. And, you know, I probably didn't go over very well with the, um, the Pharisee was, authorities at that time, but I was going to say with just about every other religion, it's, it's scandalous to say, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you refer Who do you to think God, you are? if you refer to God as your father to a Muslim, he, he, he's going to think that that's scandalous. And, and I would assume the same thing at the Jews because, because they viewed that. I mean, you even read it in scripture that because of the way Jesus was talking about God, he was equ equating himself as an equal to God. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very scandalous thing. And, and like you said, we are invited into that relationship. Yeah, because he doesn't say, when you pray, pray like this, God the Father who art in heaven. He doesn't say that. Yeah. He invites us to call. He says, our Father. Yeah. That must have been, um, wow, that must have been. Quite, and I think, I, I, think it to I think it speaks to the essence of, of love, that God is love, that he wants, he, he, you know, he is love itself, and he wants to, us to share in that, that with him, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I guess I hadn't considered it as deep as you're talking about it now. And it's, I can't think of the words to adequately express what I'm, what, what, what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking right now, because it, it is a profound invite into, it is such into a the relationship prayer. with God. Yeah. It is such a beautiful prayer. And it's so ordinary because we, you know, it's yep. the, the basic Christian prayer throughout all of Christianity, whatever denomination, whatever, everybody knows the, our father. And so it's just sort of a, you know, secondhand thing. But if you stop and look at that prayer, really look at the texts uh, of, of what he's inviting us to. Um, your kingdom, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here on earth as in heaven. Yeah. Um, that's, that's profound. Have, I mean, I don't want to get it because this would be an episode in itself, but I think it was Brant Petrie wrote in his book, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Youths of the Eucharist. He writes about when he says, give us this day our daily bread, mm -hmm. that the original language denotes a supernatural bread. It's not just, oh, we'll fill our stomachs and nourish us physically. Mm. There's a much more profound meaning to that when you go to the original language in the way it was written. So, uh, I like I said, I haven't read it in a while, so I don't really want to try to describe it because I, I would butcher it. But yeah. uh, but if you haven't heard it, get Brant Petrie's book and read about that because the Our Father has <laughs> tons of prof profound messages in it. Yeah, definitely. And I and what, what, one of the things that I do know is that the, the the end the ending there where it says deliver us from evil um, in the Greek text of the of the Bible um, that 
really is evil personified. So they're talking about Satan there. So, so it's, it, mm-hmm. it sort of really is deliver us from the evil one. And I think there are several versions of that prayer where that's sort of the way they translate it into English. Although the word that he uses is evil, it's a personal evil. And so he's not just talking about evil as a, you know, just deliver us from bad things happening. Mm-hmm. He wants to, he's asking God, the father to deliver us from the grips of the evil one. Um, so that, uh, I, that's just another interesting thing about the prayer that, um, you know, the, that, that doesn't really get translated very well into English. And that's a problem with translating, you know, ancient Near Eastern texts into modern English. I think you do lose something, you know, um, and so it's yeah. good to go back to those original sources and read the, 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 so, the early fathers on I- that and, I was about to say, yeah, I mean, it's not just the, I mean, don't get me wrong. The loss in translation is definitely a huge factor, but also a lot of times we are so far removed from the idioms and understanding of, of the way things that they believe things worked in the world. Right. So they would say certain things that to us either don't make sense or we view it completely different. And that's, that's one reason that as Catholics, we view the church fathers as so important because they open up a world to us better, better than our modern day scholars can ever dream of. Yeah. Um, you know what I always find interesting about the Our Father too hmm. is as Catholics, we're always accused of adding to to the Word of God in you know their referencing the Bible. But you've heard the ending many times of our, uh, at the Our Father, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Right. That's, not a, that's not in the original. That's an addition that is in many Bibles that was... And the Nova Sword on Muse. <laughs> yeah, well. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm, I mean don't get me wrong. I mean, it doesn't change... It, it, it doesn't change any of the message or teachings of, of the Christian faith. But if you're going to take a hardline stance that there nothing should be added, yeah, well, you need to quit. You need to take that out of your Bibles. Yeah, that's one of the things I've never been. Like I said, I'm not a biblical scholar, and I don't know um, half of what I should. But um, and so, so when I get it's into things like, you know, is that a more faithful translation or is it not or whatever? I'm not the guy to ask for that. I don't. I don't. That's what we have the church for. Yeah, that's what we have the church for. I submit to to much more learned men than me on that. But I was thinking about the Our Father recently, and and what a beautiful and simple, um, and and uh, just a very moving uh, prayer. You know that when you stop and really look at it, and 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 the context of it, and what Jesus is inviting us into. No, um, I think no, no. I I think it's a good thought because I I feel like sometimes I and I can speak for myself. We try to research and look into all these theological meanings and these theological sayings and all this other stuff. When really we have like this prayer, it's become so ordinary to everybody, so common because everybody knows it. Everybody says it all the time, but when you really stop and think about it you could you could gnaw on that forever not 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 even try to get into any of the other theological controversies you know i mean you could you could you know it it was kind of like saint augustine how many years did he spend trying to understand the trinity it was such a it was such a beautiful mystery that 
is incomprehensible. Yeah. And and when you look at prayers like the Our Father, are they simple prayers? Yes. But like an onion, it's got many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And and you'll get past one layer, think you've got it figured out. Nope. Here's another layer. Nope, got it figured out. So so to to really meditate on God, you don't really have to get into obscure theological ideas. Yeah. You don't have to read the Summa and the original. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I certainly couldn't do that. Um, I, I want to read something here to lead us right into our topic here. This is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 1201. The mystery of Christ is so unfathomably rich that it cannot be exhausted by its expression in a single liturgical tradition. The history of the blossoming and development of these rites witnesses to a remarkable complementarity. When the churches lived their perspective or respective liturgical traditions on the communion of the faith and the sacraments of the faith, they enriched one another and grew in fidelity to tradition and to the common mission of the whole church. So, Jason, what are we going to talk about today? So, I wanted to take a, it's a very ambitious goal, right? I mean, because the church has uh, six rites and what I have found is 24 churches, distinct churches within those six rites. So what I would like to do ambitiously (laughs) is to uh, go through a series where we talk about each of not only the six rites, but the different churches within those rites. Um, Because, now I'm lot, confused. Is it is it is it not? I was always under the impression that it's six churches, and then the bigger number are the individual rites. Is that not correct? Well, see, that's what I was thinking too. But the research I've done the past few days, the rites are the bigger churches, and then you have your individual churches okay. underneath. Okay. But you know what? If that's wrong, we're still in the infancy stages of of figuring this out. So if we're wrong, take the journey with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but no, I. I a lot of us in the West, um, when we think of Catholicism in the Catholic Church, we think of the Roman Rite. You know, we think of the you know in the, the old Catholic days of Church. yeah of the yeah. Mass being in Latin, of uh, you know present day the Novus Ordo. And <clears throat> I had a conversation with with a friend of ours, and it it, it made me think about this because pe- people. St- it seems like they think, well, I don't like this liturgy or that liturgy because it doesn't feel Catholic or it's not Catholic. When when the, the church is much more beautiful and larger than people even think, that just because you're not familiar with their liturgy doesn't mean they're any less Catholic than we are because we have a lot of different churches in the East who have very ancient liturgies that are different than what we're used to either in the uh, Latin Mass or the Novus Ordo. And I just thought it would be a really good series to go over them. Some of them are going to be are bigger and are going to take up a whole episode. Some of them we may combine, not sure yet. Ideally, I would like to have as many priests, and, and I've reached out to a bunch, to come and talk about their particular church. So you you would have, you know, you'd have a priest at, at at this church talk about the history, the future and the uniqueness of their church uh, within the Catholic church. And if we can't get priests, maybe we can get a, a lay person that's familiar, 
your or attends that liturgy and can, and can talk to us. If not, we'll take it on ourselves. And if we don't cover everything rightly, guess what? We have an email address right here, tradmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can correct us on or, or whatever, but I'm, I'm going to share my screen here, Mark. And if, okay. if, you, if you've got something to say while I pull it up, go ahead. Well, the, you know, you talked about how the church is bigger than we think. And I, I sort of think of uh, the, the, the church being like, um, like an iceberg, right? So there's uh, up, up top, the part you can see is the Roman church, right? That's, that's the, the big car. Everybody's in, everybody's in the big car that, that we can think of. But there are, um, like you just said, liturgical traditions and particular churches Mm-hmm. So uh, they will have their own prelates, their own um, sort of, a, not ecclesiastical structure, because that's going to be pretty much the same. But I mean, they'll have metropolitans like they would sort of in the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And um, what's amazing, though, is that you're right. There is sort of a sense in which when you go visit one of these churches, you go, well, this isn't Catholic. Yeah. But that is, that, that's your mistake. Uh, your error, because one of the things I think it was, it was either Ambrose or it was Augustine. And I don't remember which one, but they said in, in every single parish, there is the whole Catholic church. You could meditate probably on that for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. um, but there would be like, for example, the Ruthenian rite, which is a Byzantine rite that you would think you were in a Greek Orthodox church. Yeah. I mean, r- ritually speaking, it looks like a Greek Orthodox church. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, I think it's so beautiful because it allows us to experience the richness of Christian tradition, authentic tradition, fully in the bosom of Holy Mother Church. Yep. So, so if you are attracted to Eastern spirituality and if you are um, if you feel an affinity towards the icons and and uh, divine liturgy and and uh, like I said, Eastern Christian spirituality and practice, there's no need to to schism. Yeah. You can you can explore that and uh, uh, develop that that interest fully within the bosom of Holy Mother Church. Yeah, that is very providential, and I think it is definitely worth our time to explore that. Yeah, and and I'm sure we're gonna come across it when we discuss these Eastern churches because yeah, Eastern Catholic spirituality is different than what you may be used to in the Roman right in the West. Um, so the, the chart I've got pulled up here. I mean, you can kind of see the whole for those that are watching on YouTube. You can kind of see that th- this is kind of just a generic breakdown from from churchpop.com. Uh, but I mean, you see the Catholic Church up here at the top, right? And then you have your Latin family. You got your Byzantine ritual, your Edessean ritual. Your um, I'm gonna mess that up. Uh, Anti- Antiochian. Antiochian. There you go. And then your Alexandrian, and then even your Armenian. And then within those, like like for instance, if you take the the Latin now the the Latin and the is a little bit different than the the others in a sense. So you have your Roman rite, which. You know, you got your extraordinary, your ordinary form, which, you, of course, are your Latin Mass and your Novus Ordo. You have the Anglican, and then 
the Zahari. Zahari. I'm, I have that, to forget. Does that, that say Zaire? Like Zaire? Yeah, I have to figure out how to say it. One. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I, I've never heard yeah. of that. What is that? Oh, I'm gonna have to look that up. Oh, you've never heard of it? Okay. No. Yeah, it's it's. I'm it's, excited now. It's different. Yeah, and then of course you got all your 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 different rights like this, your order rights, um, but but all those are typically fall under the 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 Latin right. But then okay. you get your Byzantine. Uh, rights and then you've got your albanian greek catholic belarusian greek catholic and a greek uh, byzantine i mean you've got them all you got the melkites which i believe are, are out of syria or no lebanon lebanon yeah. um your russian greek catholic church and then you've got your ukrainian greek catholic church which is actually which is actually the second largest outside of the roman right the 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 second largest um group of Catholics. And then a very, another very popular is the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic church, which we have weekly over here at St. John Chrysostom with, uh, father Tom Wells. If, if, if you're ever in Houston, you ought to go visit them over there. And the, they, the Mel- they also, they also host the Melkite. I was going to say the Melkites are there. <clears throat> uh, you got the Edison and you got your East Syriac and your West Syriac. And, and you can kind of see we got both of these churches, the Chaldean and uh, Cyril Malabar. Are, we actually have those in Houston. We have on the on the West Syriac, right? We have the Maronites in Houston. And we even have the Cyril uh, Malankara, which I've reached out to them as well. Okay. And I believe, that j- just if you'll bear with me, I'll sidetrack here. Something very interesting about the Maronites. I think it's the Maronites. If it's not, it was it, it was one of these these rites uh, within within these uh, Eastern groups. But they, you know, as we get into the history, we're going to see that a, that a lot of these Eastern churches initially during the Great Schism fell away from the Catholic Church, but only but but then through the years came back into communion with with the Pope of Rome, right? Um. The Maronites, I believe, actually never, <laughs> never fell out of communion with Rome, but because of where they of where they were, it's either it's either Lebanon or Syria. But Lebanon, when the Lebanon, when the, I believe, yeah, yeah, when the Ottomans came, they were surrounded by the Muslims, and they were pretty much cut off from the rest of the the, the Christian world, right? Christian, right, right. And then it was like years later, people start to as they start you know going to these countries they say hey <laughs> there's christians here and they never fell out of communion they were just kind of in some ways forgotten about because yeah, they were I think, surrounded I, by the muslims i think rome wanted to know if whether or not they were in communion so they asked them do you accept the council of chalcedon and they were like there was a council in chalcedon when was they <laughs> yeah, yeah i didn't get so, the invite <laughs> yeah so it, it, it wasn't their fault and then you know you even have um, some of these churches in India, like the Malabar and stuff like that, who, who really at some points were, were said they were out of communion, but they technically weren't. There was just a misunderstanding of, of whether they were, I think, historians or whatever. But so th- there's fascinating histories in the, in a lot of these churches. And then you have your, like we said, your, uh, Alexandrian, right? Which which has you know your Coptic Catholic Church, your Ethiopian Catholic Church, which is one that I'm actually quite interested in learning about. Don't well, ask church, me why. The, the, the traditional, the Apostolic Churches in Africa are fascinating. Yeah, that's and then, fascinating. 
And then, of course, you have your Armenian, uh, right? But, you know, <clears throat> I'll stop sharing my screen here. But we, we talk about the, the, the church and its diversity. The church has true diversity because as the apostles and their disciples spread out through the world and were spreading the gospel, there were, excuse me, they the liturgies were different in some ways because they, th there was cultural impacts on the liturgies. There was, uh, you know, the, the norms at the time. Um, but they all shared the common core beliefs that the Eucharist was sacred and holy. It was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. They believed, you know, that, that the liturgy should glorify God, right? It was, it was representing that sacrifice on, on Calvary to God the Father. They all believed these things. And then, of course, as the saints went through the years, like you've got the, um, and you probably know this if I'm wrong on it, but the Ruthenian Greek Catholic Church, I believe that's still the the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom they use. Yes, yes, yeah. So, so I mean, you yeah. can see the development of these liturgies, but they're very, very ancient, and in some cases, they may even be older than some of the um, the, uh, the or, or, or the Latin masses we currently know it. And, and just to be clear, when we're talking, we're, we're calling these different churches, we're using the small C church. So yes, we're, we're yeah. saying these are sort of like the, the Archdiocese of Houston is the Catholic church in Houston. We're not a separate church, right? But uh, <clears throat> we're using the little C. So these other rites, if you were to go say a Ukrainian Catholic church, you will see something that look, looks aesthetically very different. They have a different, they have different emphasis in their spirituality, but they maintain with 100% fullness, the faith. So they, yeah. they hold all the same, um, uh, articles that, of, of faith that we hold. They believe in the immaculate conception. They believe in the assumption. They believe in uh, Jesus Christ as true God and true man, true yeah, presence the, in the Eucharist. And the language Catholic. may and the language may be different. Like like right. first at the assumption they call it the door mission. So you may have a little bit of a language difference, but it's it's all the same core beliefs that <clears throat> that all Catholics. And if you're ever stuck somewhere and for some reason there's not a a Latin church that you're used to, you 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 can go to every single one of these churches and fulfill your Sunday obligation. Yes. You see, as long as you're in a state of grace, you can receive Holy Communion. You you are not barred from right. doing any of that. Right. Um, now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard one time, and of course i i would I would verify this with a priest before you did this. But um, if you were, say, in Russia or Greece, and there were no Catholic churches around you could fulfill your Sunday obligation by attending an Orthodox church, but you would not be able to receive their, their sacraments. Um, and of course they wouldn't want you to, right? I was going to be... say they, they wouldn't <clears throat> let you as far as I know, but right. that, that I don't know that I don't, I don't know. know. That either. Um, I mean, I mean, worst case scenario, if you're traveling, by the way, I just found this out recently. If you're traveling and you get stuck somewhere where you're not going to be able to go to mass and you've made the efforts to try to, make sure you can go to mass wherever you're going, your local priest can actually give you a dispensation. Now I'm not saying you should try to seek that out. And when you go on vacation, yeah. you should try to get that dispensation, be honest about it. But as far as attending an Orthodox church, I don't know. I, I do know that you can get a dispensation. Because the Orthodox like us believe in, they have the faith. 
um, but they they are in schism, and so that that's the sticking point. So it's it's not like they're a separate religion, right? They're just not in full communion um, with the church. But like like the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church we're just talking about, or the Ruthenian Church, the head of their church, the 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 visible head of their church is the Pope, right? Yeah. So they're not in schism. They're not they're not Orthodox. It will look that way. Um, and Jason, you said there's a reason why it looks that way. What? Well, how, yeah. How and, did that come to be exactly? Well, I mean, I, I, in a general sense. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause we'll definitely, <laughs> as we research this more, we'll get better detail of it. Now I just, you know, I don't going back to your comment a minute ago. I mean, I know, I think there are, and I, oh, there's a mosquito right here. <laughs> there, there are some differences I believe that would, between the Orthodox and Catholic on like core beliefs. So I, I don't think we're necessarily in a hundred percent agreement with them. So that personally yeah, is what like would I make think they me don't have, uncomfortable going there. I to try to fulfill. I, I, well, but see like, okay, sort of like they don't, they don't have the immaculate conception. Right. Yeah. But that's because they don't have Augustine's ideas of original sin. But if you were to go and ask the Orthodox, did Mary ever commit a sin in her life? They would say, oh, no. Well, see, and, and see, that's the, con <clears throat> yeah, and that's the confusion to it. Again, th they call so it ancestral sin versus so, original sin. So and, it, it might just break down to a problem of semantics. I, I don't know. I'll leave that to yeah. more learned well, yeah. men than myself. But, but, um, but going back to, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack that's there. Okay. Going, that's okay. going to your question, um, from, from my, early uh study into to these churches remember we said as the the reason if you go to an eastern catholic church it's going to remind you a lot of if you've ever seen an orthodox liturgy because remember the the orthodox predominantly came out of the eastern church right you know before the schism right constantinople and stuff like that and uh remember uh, uh many of these churches originally fell out of communion with Rome later to come back. But when they came back, they still had that, that divine and they don't call it mass either. They call it divine liturgy. They had, they had their divine liturgy where they had the iconostasis, you know, that separates the laity from the priest when he's, uh, you know, back with the, where the tabernacle and all that is. Um, so, so there is, there is difference and it's just, it's just that Eastern tradition. I mean, that's why when you when you see their liturgy, it's going to remind you of the Orthodox liturgy because they came out of the same tradition. And one of the things that is interesting to note here is liturgical tradition. Sorry. Why were they allowed to keep their liturgical tradition? I mean, why why didn't they have to conform? Either coming back into full communion with Rome, why were they not forced to adopt our Roman liturgy? And why? here's and the Sorry. answer to that is, is because contrary to what I think a lot of people in the Vatican believe, the, cap, the prelates actually have no authority to outlaw authentic liturgical rites of the church. They just don't have the authority to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, these rites are, are so old and so esteemed and so legitimate that it is beyond the competency of men in the church to say, uh, yeah, you're not going to do the Ukrainian right anymore. So I, I, I often laugh in the, in the, in the Roman church because we didn't seem to get that memo. We think that 
what liturgy will allow people to use will depend on who happens to be the Pope right now. And I, I, I don't know how to tell these guys that that is not the authentic traditional way the church views her esteemed liturgies. These, these are not man-made inventions. These are um, very old, very esteemed mm -hmm. rites that date back to the time of the apostles themselves. Oh yeah. And so the church has no authority to discontinue the use of say the liturgy of Saint, the divine liturgy of St. Basil or the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom um, or the Roman rite as promulgated by well, his holiness, Pope St. Pius V, I would argue, but well, Pope St. Pius V also, when he, you know, in response to the Protestant reformation, he, yeah, he didn't outlaw these ancient liturgies. He just said, Hey, if it's less than 200 years old, right. Because they don't have that. Use... Yeah. They don't have that foundation. They're not right. that, but you know, going back to your chart that you showed, the Latin church is bigger than just the Roman rite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was at the time of quo primum in 1570. So, yeah. It, yeah, I don't think people realize how diverse in the West that, that the liturgies actually were now were that now were most of them like drastically different. Well, probably not, but, but there were differences that a lot of people today would be scandalized by if they were to go into, you know, um, a church that, that practice one of these, but, but again, Pi, uh, Pope St. Pius V by him saying that if they were over 200 years old, they could stay was affirming the diversity of the church. Yeah. Because he, he would have no competency to even as Pope, he would have no authority to just simply discontinue one of the authentic established rituals of the church that, and uh, in fact, Catechism of the Catholic Church actually talks about this. And if you'll just permit me for a second, in, uh, in paragraph 1203, the liturgical traditions or rites presently in use in the church are the Latin, principally the Roman rite, but also the rites of certain local churches, such as the Ambrosian rite or those of certain religious orders, and the Byzantine, Alexandrian, or Coptic, Syriac, Armenian, Maronite, and Chaldean rites. In faithful obedience to tradition, the sacred council declares that Holy Mother Church holds all lawfully recognized rights to be of equal right and dignity, and that she wishes to preserve them in the future and to foster them in every way. One of the things that I think is comical, that the church doesn't have any right to get rid of the Chaldean right, but for some reason we believe we can just discontinue the use of the most famous Catholic right that has existed for 2000 years, the Roman right. Uh, we're just not going to do that anymore. Get real, get real. Well, it's just, it's just, a, it's <laughs> just real. an abuse of, of, of power that um, I believe one day, and, and this isn't saying the Novus Ordo is going to come or go. I'm, I'm not speaking to that at all, but yeah, I don't either because, but that, one day, but, but one day God, I believe will write the ship. That may be 10 years. That may be uh, uh, 500 years, who knows? But at the end of the day, that's for God to decide how he wants to handle his church, yeah. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But back to the Eastern churches, something else, if, if you ever, and you've attended, I, I'm pretty sure you've told me you've attended. Oh, some, yeah. one, of, one of the things that if you're not used to that may take you by surprise is when they say the, uh, the Nicene Creed, they don't say the Filioque. Right, right. They were they were still able to keep that 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 original Nicene Creed 
intact and still be in in uh now one thing that i'm going that will be interesting to learn which i would assume the answer is yes that they that they affirm the filioque but but i'm not sure but but i from what I would under, uh, from what I understood is that in, in order for one of the things for them to come back into communion was to affirm the filioque, but I may be wrong on that. I haven't got into that part of it yet, but that's just my assumption. So that'll be something interesting to look, uh, yeah, look they, at and find out. They affirm the filioque, but again, filioque is Latin, and it is it mm-hmm. is not it, it doesn't translate well into the into the it's not a part of the Greek and that's version the controversy. of the Nicene Creed. Yeah. They, there is no denial of the theology behind it, but they do not have it in their liturgy simply for that reason. It well, the original a, Nicene Creed didn't even have it. It just said <clears throat> proceeds from the Father. It didn't. Right. The, the Son was added later in order to combat <laughs> heresy. Yeah, and, and Latin being a different language, when you say filioque, it, it works. It's syntactually correct. I mean, one of the things that... Uh, I remember asking somebody one time, what's better, Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit? And it was Father, oh man, he was he was at our parish about two or three. Uh, Father Codet? No, the guy before Malane? him. Malane? Oh, oh uh, that was before my time, but I know okay. who you're talking about. And he gave, a, he gave a great homily on the subject. And he said, basically, either one you want to use is fine. The, the, the sticking point here is the word holy is an Anglo-Saxon word. And the word spirit is a Latin word. The word in, so in Latin, you would say spiritus sancti, which means sacred spirit. That sounds almost kind of new age. It doesn't, it doesn't really translate very well. Or you could say um, holy ghost, but ghost in modern parlance means something that's, you know, some sort of supernatural entity that haunts your house or whatever. So it, when you translate it into English, either way, none of them, none of them really work well. The only way to make it work to where it makes correct sense is to mix up the Latin word with the (laughs) Anglo-Saxon word. So you get Holy spirit, but that doesn't really. So, so we say Holy ghost typically in the traditional rites when we're speaking in English, um, just to, just to keep the syntax correct, but it goes to show you one of the, the challenges you have when you translate things, into languages they don't always translate very well so yeah um oh i wanted to read one more thing before we from from vatican council too and i know that um because we attend the traditional latin mass we deny vatican too so i'll go ahead and read from say uh, i'm from, gonna take uh, my headphones off then yeah i'm gonna read from this council that i deny in its entirety just because i go to the liturgy that they actually said at vatican too <laughs> Um, <clears throat> decree on the Catholic Eastern Churches, Vatican II Orientalium Ecclesiarium. Um, paragraph two, the Holy Catholic Church, which is the mystical body of Christ, is made up of the faithful who are organically united in the Holy Spirit by the same faith, the same sacraments, and the same government. They combine into different groups, which are held together by their hierarchy, and so form particular churches or rites. Between these churches, there is such a wonderful communion that this variety, so far from diminishing the church's unity, rather serves to emphasize it. Um, the entire decree is very enlightening and will you will learn a lot about how the Catholic Church views these sort of 
separate particular churches. But of course, because you listen to Tradman, you deny the entire council. So that's probably that's why that's I have the, I, that's why I have this book because I deny the council. Um, anyway, uh, that's enough tongue in cheek humor, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I just wanted to the just say a word here real quick to anybody because I mean you always have your critics out there, of course. Today was a very early primer on what we're hoping to accomplish. Maybe, you know, today maybe I mentioned the wrong rite or the wrong liturgy or, or whatever. But as you could see from the chart and from the different uh, liturgical traditions in the church and the different churches within those rites, this is a large task. So when when we talk about this, my goal was never to talk about it as a one big large episode where we do a two hour episode to cover everything, because that's not going to be possible to get into the detail. So, you know, we're going to tackle for the most part, one by one, yeah. these churches and get into them. And by the end of the series, hopefully all our information will be correct. If it hasn't been correct up to this point, we will have corrected anything off this episode. So don't send us emails or comments. Well, you said this wrong. Okay. We, we acknowledge it, or at least I do that. Everything I said might not have been a hundred percent accurate, but take the journey with us. Yeah. Folks, if, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that um, you're not dealing with the brain trust over here. We don't, you know, we don't know any more than you do. We're not, um, we're not ecclesiastical gurus. We don't, I don't have a red hat, so don't look to well, me for expertise you do right now <laughs> with the original state of Texas. Yeah, that's right. That's the, that's the real map right there, guys. Just yeah. so you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and in fact, I was thinking here in Houston, I know we have obviously the Ruthenian, right? The Melkite, right? We have a Maronite, right? Parish, Ukrainian, uh, Catholic parish. I don't know. Do we? Do we have it? We have. We have to have a we Syro have, Malabar. We do have. A, we have two of them, I believe. Uh, yeah, because we and have I like a really we large have, Indian population yeah, here. I believe we have one of the Mala, Mal, Malankar. I'd have to look up one of those rites. I believe. I want to say. Don't quote me on this. I need to go back and look. But I thought I saw an Armenian church in Houston. Have, now have there. You ever seen? I I know there's an Armenian Orthodox church. Yeah, right? yeah, there's definitely one of those. Yeah, but I don't know. I didn't know that there was an Ar Armenian Catholics. There's that's such a very small, because most Armenians are Orthodox, like overwhelmingly. Yeah, and I know that there is. It's kind of like the Coptics. The, like the Coptic is the Egyptian church. Right. And so you go to Egypt. Most Egyptians are going to be um, either, if better, not Muslims are going to be Coptic Orthodox. So this is the uh, they're not in communion with the Greek Orthodox. They're what's called the Oriental Orthodox churches. And so that's the Eritrean Orthodox, uh, the Coptic church, the Ethiopian church. Um, and you, I think that the Coptic Catholics are like such a small, I, now, I don't know I, that there are any outside of Egypt, are there? I don't know. I, oh, I didn't no. look that. I am. I, I will say I'm excited about learning about the Coptic because I've been kind of fascinated with the Coptics in general because yeah. they're a little bit different, right? But definitely, I'm interested in the Coptic Coptic Catholic Church. Um, Sidetrack here. I've uh, last year I was reading an article on um, the DNA, basically of. Egyptians, because I, I have a really good friend who uh, is from Egypt, right? He's, he's an Egyptian Muslim. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, like, if you've ever talked to somebody from Greece, Greece is the best place on earth. They invented everything, right? Yeah, right. To, to an annoying level. <laughs> my 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 stepdad was from uh, Rhodes Island, Greece, and they invented everything. Right. The right. Egyptians are like that, at least from my experience with them. <laughs> at least he is, right? So I like to tease him, right? Like, like, like my stepdad, I used to tell him, that the Greeks and the Turks were the same people. And if you know the history between the Greeks and the Turks. Oh, man. Did he kill you? They, oh, man. It would make him so mad. And I bet it I, would. I was just driving on. So with, with my friend Nabil, I will tell him, oh, you're just an Arab. You're, you're, you're the same people from Arab, Egyptians, Arab, just because I know it aggravated him, right? Right. We're getting canceled because I'm apparently <laughs> But But anyway, you could talk to him and, and uh, he, he would tell you he looks at me like a brother and the same thing with him. We, t- we talk about religion. Maybe one day, you know, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen said the way to the Muslim to get through the Muslim is the Virgin Mary. Yeah. Yeah. So, so me and him have talked about her uh, and, many times, and, but, and our uh, spirit and, and Marian spirituality plays obviously such a huge role in all of these particular churches. Uh, but in a unique way in, in the Egyptian Coptic church, they have a very strong devotion to our lady. So I, I've been kind of rambling here, but my, my point was, is I, I had read this article. And the only reason I read it was because of him. And it's, it actually said, uh, I have to try to find it again, but it said when they did a DNA sample and test of the country of Egypt, that the Coptic Christians in Egypt were their DNA was more of the original Egyptians than the Muslims of Egypt. That the the Egyptian Muslims in Egypt have, I mean, it was the majority of their DNA was from Arabia. Right, right. And the Coptic Christians didn't have a whole lot of Arabian blood or DNA in them, that they are most related to the to the original Egyptians and the ones that inhabited that country for thousands of years. Right. So of course I sent it off to him and I told him, I said, see, I told you I was right. Your, <laughs> your ancestry is Arabian. And of course he was like, Oh, I don't believe that and all that. But, uh, but that's another interesting thing about the Coptic Christians over there is if that, if that report was true, then uh, I don't know. It's just fascinating to me. I, I don't really know there's a point to it besides that. It just fascinates me, but of course it would make sense that the Egyptian Muslims have more Arabian blood because of migration and, and the, and the conquering and the warring that, that they did in the beginning coming out of Arabia. But um, yeah, I, I know that there are these monasteries um, that are literally carved into the ground in the shape of a cross. And I wish I had a picture of them, but um, they're Egyptian Coptic monasteries, essentially, or or churches. I think they're, I think they're monasteries Mm -hmm. and they dug them. So they're down in the earth and they're in the shape of a cross They're, I mean, they're incredibly old. And if you'll just permit me here, I'm going to look for one here real quick. Um, um, Mosquito. Yeah. While you looked that up, I was going to mention, yeah, like, you know, me, me and my friend Nabil, we share drastically different face, right? But when I was in Saudi Arabia, he would always drive me to Bahrain every morning to go to mass on Sundays. Not every morning, but every Sunday morning. And uh, 
he's always told me, man, if you come to Egypt, he goes, I'll take you to Alexandria. I'll take you to St. Catharines. I'll take you to all these, you know, Christian, Christian sites, which would be amazing to do hopefully one day. But, um, uh, give me one second here. I'm gonna... But yeah, the Coptics are definitely interesting. Yeah. So they, they've, they've carved these things. So, you know, that's not, they didn't take stones and bring them down into this pit. That's all one piece. That's crazy. I mean, it's, I mean, it's incredible. Looks <laughs> the rock hewn churches. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they've been, where's the guitar. <laughs> uh it's uh it's at the archdiocese of chicago yeah, the, um, yeah the, uh, i don't see any places for for uh, a projector and, and laser show laser yeah, light know, show. Right? <laughs> since since 330 a.d uh so it's one of the oldest christian countries in the world one of the oldest places um that they've been continuously practicing christianity that says ethiopia oh this is ethiopia okay 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 yeah, I'm sorry. Still, still. I mean, the, the the difference between the Ethiopian and the Coptic Church is like uh, the difference between the Greek and the Russian Orthodox. I mean, it, they're basically the same. Wasn't Ethiopia the only African country that wasn't colonized? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Ethiopia is the oldest continuously inhabited place on Earth. I mean, human beings have been living there since you know a long time. The dawn of the, <laughs> since the dawn of time. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's where Eden was or not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't profess to know such things, but I do know that, you know, we're human beings have been living there for quite some time. That is just incredible. Look at that. Anyway, kind of an interesting thing. And uh, oh, yeah. we'll get into that a little bit sometime. That's hey, fine. if anybody, if anybody's in you sitting there in trouble. Yeah. He's call, right call, by your side. Call, call somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I already had 20, you already had 20 trials this week. Listen, man, don't talk to the police and uh, call me and don't sign anything until I get there. Don't, don't, don't blow into the breathalyzer. You know, you know, what's amazing is when you tell people don't ever talk to the police without an attorney or lawyer present, they always make it. It always comes off to some people as, Oh, you don't back the blue or you hate the police. No, it's not that I don't hate the police in general. I just don't trust this person with my freedom. Yeah, it's the Constitution was written because the, these guys understood that state power uh, is is a heck of a juggernaut to go up against when you're talking about your freedom. Mm-hmm. And cops understand they do this for a living too. This isn't yeah. this isn't personal for them. You know, you just say, "Look, I'm I'm invoking my right to remain silent until I talk to an attorney." They don't get mad. They don't throw a fit. They just put you in the back of the car and. Well, I guess it just depends on who it is too, right? I mean, I mean, it I'll put it like this. If the church can have bad people in it, the police departments can have bad people in it too. And you may the cop you're saying I refuse to talk to may be a perfectly honest and sincere person. But you yes. don't know that. Well, you could the, be across one that is not. He could be the most honest and sincere guy in the world, but he he can't help you in court mm-hmm. because that's hearsay. He can only talk about things you said if it works against your interest. That's why when they read you your rights, they say anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, not to help you. So he may have all the intention of the wor- in the world of helping you out of your situation, 
none of that can come in in court. The only thing he's allowed to talk about in court is things that work against your case. Well, because the state is prosecuting you, right? The state so is prosecuting. It's not in their interest to help you. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the people have their lawyer. That's the the prosecutor, and then you have me. That's here to defend you. And I people never want to talk to the cops, and they don't because as soon as you say I'm invoking my, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm invoking my right to to remain silent. Well, then the interrogation is over. And now it's time to put you in the back of the police car. You're under arrest. And that's when they want to start talking themselves out of it. It never fails. The cop will be there and, you know, so what are you out here doing tonight? I'm not, I, I'm not choosing to talk about my day with you. Okay. Turn around. You're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Oh man. Listen, here's what happened. <laughs> Stay calm. Yeah. Because once you've said you have the right to remain silent and you've said, oh, here's what happened. Let me talk my way out of this. You have effectively waived your right to remain silent. And now everything you're about to say can come in against you in court. Yeah. Um, one thing that always bothers me is when people, you'll especially see it in the political world from both sides of the aisle, right? When people will go before the Senate or, or, or the hearings and committees and stuff. Oh, well, if they weren't guilty, they wouldn't have evoked their Fifth Amendment right. Give me a if you if you invoke your Fifth Amendment right, you may be guilty of sin. But guess what? That doesn't by you invoking the Fifth Amendment doesn't mean you're admitting guilt, and it should never be viewed as such, in my opinion, right. because no. that's that's your right. It is it's, your right. It, you know, it's just like uh, I was reading that these these uh, for people that don't live uh, along the the border uh, states. You can actually be stopped up by, uh, uh, what are they called? The border patrol up to a hundred miles inland from the, uh, from the border where they'll have border checkpoints right. and they, and they simply ask you, are you an American citizen? You say, yes, you're on your way. Well, there's some people, and I don't necessarily disagree with them that will say no. Now, now the Supreme court from my understanding has ruled on the border like if on the actual border, you don't necessarily have these rights, but if you're within that hundred miles and you're in the country, you can say no or refuse to answer, but your refusal to answer is not justifiable for reasonable cause. It says just because I refuse to answer your question isn't, isn't a reason uh, for a, a, a reasonable suspicion. Yeah. So and, prob probable cause exists at the border already. Usually if they wanted to search you, um, it, this is where probable cause comes in. It's not about questioning. They can question you whenever they want, but in order to search you, they need to have probable cause or a warrant. Yeah. Um, so the, the Supreme court jurisprudence is, is that at the border probable cause automatically exists. Yeah. That's my, so they don't, so it doesn't have to be independently. Uh, so they can search you at the border yeah. and, and, and will, um, and the, the right, the fifth amendment right to remain silent. Okay. Actually does not, there's nothing in the constitution that says you have a right to a lawyer when you're being questioned by the police that came about as an extension of the, of, of the fifth amendment. Right. And because if you're in the station house and you're under what they call custodial interrogation, you're, you're under arrest and you're being questioned by the police and you're spilling your guts 
you are essentially testifying against yourself in court. And the Fifth Amendment says that no, uh, no criminal, no, no one being prosecuted in a criminal case will be forced to give testimony against himself. That's an old English common law rule that considers it fundamentally unfair to make a defendant uh, be a witness against himself. And so if you're in there spilling your guts to the police at the station house, everything you say is coming in to a court of law. So you, you are in effect testifying against yourself in court. So the Supreme Court in Miranda versus Arizona said, if you want that evidence to be uh, uh, preserved for trial, he's got to have a lawyer there in the station house for police questioning as a natural extension of the Fifth Amendment. But there's actually nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to a lawyer during questioning. Interesting. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Name another traditional Catholic podcast or any Catholic <laughs> podcast where you're going to get free law advice right. at free no legal charge. Advice. We will keep you out of jail. <laughs> well, I tell my clients this. I, I, I don't keep you out of jail. Only you can... I. I <laughs> Only you can keep you out of jail. My, yeah. my job is to give you the best, all the defenses afforded to you under the constitution of the state of Texas and the United States. But other than that, I can't change the fact that you robbed the liquor store. They've got video of you doing it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing I can do to get rid of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So, so for anybody that's listened to this episode and is like, why are they talking about the law? Instead of being upset about it or annoyed, you could be thinking, usually people pay for this advice. <laughs> what is it, like 150 an hour? That's right, 150 an hour, payable oh. by cash, cash <laughs> or money order. I don't take checks. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, um, I'm I, like I said, I'm really looking forward to this series. Um, did you have did you have anything else, or I was just gonna have some parting words? I'm here? really excited about this too. And uh, wh which where where are we gonna start? I don't know. I don't know. I think we should start with the Roman right. I was about to say, I don't want to start with the Roman right. You don't want to start with the Roman. Okay. Okay. No, no, I, no, I was right. actually thinking maybe the Roman right should be the last since it, since people are more familiar with it, but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it offline and see. Well, you don't know, because I'm learning things about it all the time. For well, example, the, the development of the Roman right itself. We know that Pius V did not write the Roman right. Oh, and, yeah. Right. I mean, arguably, it goes back to Gregory the Great in, in, in some, some arguments, right? In some right? ways, even further back than that. It, it, there is evidence that this is part of the early liturgy of the first of the days of St. Peter in Rome. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I've ordered a book on Amazon, uh, Father Youngman's The Mass of the Roman Rite, which is considered the quintessential work on the history of the Roman Rite um, of the liturgical movement before the Second Vatican Council. And it gets into how it developed, where it came from, all the different particularities. I'm really looking forward to digging into that. But, but it's important to remember, these churches are not just liturgies. They are, they, are, they are particular churches in every way. So they don't just have their own liturgy. They have their own bishops, um, their own priests, their own dio diocese. Um, and so they, they really are particular, not just in their, the, the divine liturgy, but in their whole approach to Catholic spirituality. And I, I think we ought to touch on all of that. I think if, as best we can, if we, yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, I agree. And you know, one one um liturgy that I want to talk about that isn't in use today, maybe we just kind of drop it in as a as a extra is the, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's the old um the use of serum. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. old English liturgy that apparently was very similar to the Roman rite, but but had its differences. I, I'd love to uh, get well, into so my that. understanding it, it, is this is you, this is one of those examples of one that was less than two hundred years old that sort of. But I don't think off. it was at the no? time. Okay, I don't. I, I thought it would because was it me and you that were talking about it? Uh, maybe on a different podcast or whatever, but I want to say that that's what we thought. And then we, then we looked it up and it was actually older. I'm not, sh and see, that's the thing. I'm not sure why it fell out of use, but, but, I, but it just, again, it's, it's very interesting. What's the name of it? Not Saracen. Cause those are the Muslims. Serum. S-A-R-U-M. Serum. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Serum, right. There you go. Um, so let's see. And it's still in um, use by, by Western Orthodox churches. And I didn't, I bet you didn't even know there was such a thing as the Western Orthodox church, but there so, is, it says, it says here just in Wikipedia, it was in use from the late 11th century until the English reformation. It is identical to, to largely identical to the Roman rite, with about 10% of its material drawn from other sources. It yeah. was widely respected during the late middle ages and churches throughout the British Isles. And so I guess it kind of got out of use because of, the English Reformation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that would make sense, but you know, that might be a question too. When we, when we talk about the Anglican, right now, yeah. I, I know one of the big reasons for the Anglican, right. Was to bring um, the Anglicans in communion, you know, with the church by letting them have something that they're already familiar with. Um, but it might be an interesting question if we're able to get a priest on why not revert back to. See, I think there's got to be more to it than that. The, the, the church is, is too. I mean, other than my personal opinion is our current pontiff isn't much of a liturgist. I don't, I think he would, I think he probably would say that about himself. Um, <clears throat> but the, the John Paul II, who was the Pope when uh, that granted the ordinariate, their particular, place within the larger Catholic church, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. he is too deep into liturgy and liturgical history and theology for, for him to give them that right just for no reason. That's got to, it's got to have more history than I think either of us know. Yeah. So. And, and that's why I'm really <laughs> hoping we can get somebody from the ordinary to come on. I even thought about if I can't get the priest, I was going to email Bishop Lopes, who is the Bishop of the Ordinariate. That would be huge. Um, now, I'm sure he's a busy man, but, you know, when I went to the Ordinariate, uh, when they were <clears throat> uh, doing the tour of St. Bernadette's Relics, they went to the Ordinariate, uh, there, Our Lady of Walsingham. And uh, I've been there a couple of times after. So, um, But that day in the bulletin, they had mentioned how, I guess, after the Reformation, the English Reformation, when the Anglican church broke, broke communion, they, they took out part of the prayer, uh, in their, in their liturgy that <clears throat> I'm trying to think of how it worded it basically that reaffirmed the teaching of transubstantiation and Holy Eucharist. And then it was added back in like in the seventies or eighties, maybe, hmm. maybe around the time, of, of the whole bringing them into communion. And I know that you have your, 
I don't, I don't even want to call them purists, but you've got people within the Catholic Church who have an aversion to the Anglican because they, you know, they'll say, well, you know, it, it, very, very, here's a very good example of what you talked about earlier in the Eastern Church. When they came back in communion, why didn't the church say you have to conform to the way we're doing things? Right. The, ch- the church has always used, without compromising the faith, has always used what people are familiar with and comfortable with to bring them to the faith and to bring them in. Now, granted, there was conversion and changes that had to be made, no doubt. But it's not uncommon for uncommon for the church to say, "Okay, you're comfortable with this. There's nothing heretical or or blasphemous or whatever with this. Keep it." Just yeah. And in fact, in fact, up until the time of the English Reformation, this was an authentic Catholic spirituality. I mean, I don't know if the liturgy was the same or if they. It, I don't a- think it's the same. I think it's it's different. But again, maybe it is. I mean. You know, with, with the Anglican episode or the ordinary episode, maybe we ought to combine those two and maybe just do a comparison. It'd be exciting if we see if we see it's beneficial to them. Because I don't want to take anything away from the ordinary because right. because in my opinion, they're bringing people back into the fold and communion with Rome. Um, their liturgy is different, but again, it's a lot more reverent than you get at a Novus Ordo. The one, at least the one I've been to. Yeah. Here the ordinary. It's communion on the tongue. They've got kneelers. They they have the separation. I mean, it, it, it again. It, it gives a more reverent vibe than I do when I go to my local Novus Ordo parish. And that is nothing against the Novus Ordo uh, parishes that are doing it, following the rubrics. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a beautiful liturgy, um, and it's it's a beautiful parish. If you ever get a chance when you're here in Houston to check out Our Lady of Walsingham, I mean, it's a gorgeous. Gorgeous and it church. gives it gives you an Eastern Catholic feel in a way too, because you know they got that they've got the separation there. Uh, it's almost like the iconostasis, almost right? right. It gives you, and when you go in there, it's like it gives you the feel of an old wooden, you know, church on the inside. I don't know. It's just it's really nice. And if somebody hadn't been there, uh, and you're in Houston, go check it out. The campus is beautiful there too. Yeah, very very pretty campus. Um, and and remember, in in every single parish everywhere in the world, there is the whole Catholic Church, right? So the whole Catholic Church is there at Our Lady of Walsingham. Yeah. The whole Catholic Church is at Regina Chaley. The whole Catholic Church is at St. Matthew's. And so um, it really, we're not in a position where we can say, you know, these people aren't really Catholic. They don't... Um, that's not real Catholicism that it, man, you really yeah, got to no. watch yourself before you go around passing mm-hmm. judgment on the whole Catholic church, because yeah. now I will say, you know, there, there are places that particularly in Germany that are very close to abandoning the faith. If they, if they have not in fact done that's so a whole, already. Yeah. That's, that, that's, a, that's apples to oranges at but, this point. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you at Our Lady of Walsingham, they're not playing any of those games over there, right? They they hold they hold to the faith that we believe in, and so Here, here's an interesting story. Uh, and real quick, don't let your liturgical preferences cloud your mind on if something is necessarily Catholic or not. I mean, don't get me wrong; the liturgy is very important. Yeah. It's, it's it's a 
what do they call it? The highest form of prayer in the church or, or the something source, like that. The source and summit of Christian life. Yeah. So, but when I, when I went, when I was at the, the ordinary at Our Lady of Walsingham, a guy was talking to me there and he said, when all the churches were shut down during COVID and people couldn't get the sacraments before a lot of the other churches and bishops and all that opened their doors, Bishop Lopes opened the doors before most and said, we need people back at the sacraments. Yeah. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, Bishop Lopes is a good bishop. Now, I think it's perfectly valid to have your preferences. I, I know a lot of people who are like, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I get it. The Byzantine church, they're, they're fully Catholic. They're our brother Catholics. It's not for me. Yeah. Cool. I get it. Uh, you know, the, I, I, I do think, though, part of a good liturgical formation is to uh, really have a good idea of what liturgy is, I think. And liturgy is a lot more than just music. And we spent so much time trying to get these things back in the Roman Rite that we lost that I think there's kind of a preoccupation that, you know, the, the, the candlesticks and the incense and things like that, that is what makes a liturgy. And it's not superfluous stuff, but I think it's, it's bigger than that, right? It is a lot more... It's a lot more of a holistic vision of liturgy. And so we need to have a good liturgical formation. So when we approach these different liturgies, we're not comparing them to one another. So, okay, yeah, this is the, the, the Roman rite is better than this rite and this, that, and everything. They're different. Yeah. Right. Not, one is not better than another because it's all this, it's all the mass. It's all uh, the, it's all the, the, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus is, is produced at this mass. And so, yeah, if you go into it with that, I think you will get a lot more out of it. If you go into it thinking, well, I'm here to determine which one's better, I don't I don't know if that's the right way to look at it. In my no, opinion. it's definitely not. No, no, it's not it, it, it's not a I'm a better than you, you're better than me type. It's not a contest. Right. Basically. Right. It's I mean, go in there, enjoy it for what it is. Worship God. If you're in a state of grace, receive Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. And call it a day. If you're not called to it, that's fine. You know, I, I have a friend who is a convert like me through the Novus Ordo, attended the Latin Mass, but he's been called to the Eastern Church. So that's what he attends most of the time. And I've attended with him. You know, I mean, again, the, <laughs> the diversity of the church is good because it has a bigger reach on bringing people into the fold and, and, and don't get it twisted. Our, when we, like Mark mentioned earlier, when we talk about the different churches, this and that, it's not like Protestantism where you have a hundred different churches who all believe a hundred different things. All these churches believe the same core tenets of the Catholic faith period. Absolutely. The end. 100%. percent, Or they and, wouldn't be Catholic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that, and that liturgical diversity extends all the way back to Rome. And I don't know why we're here pretending that, well, I, I don't want to go off in a rant here. It just, it frustrates me that we, we know, we realize this everywhere, but home. We, we, we've, we're now trying to play this game where we are deciding that because one guy in the church associates the Roman rite and those who practice it 
with the denial of an ecumenical council, whether that's true or false, because he is, has that association, now people can't. There's people out there who lost their mass and can't go to church. That is so frustrating, man. Yeah. And it's just like you know, good liturgical formation is important so that we don't make rash judgments and and thing and, and mistakes like that. I think, but yeah. Traditionis Custodes was not good liturgical formation, <laughs> in my Which opinion. We have an episode about that. Episode. <clears throat> One, Check. episode our one. First, our very first episode was straight into the fire. Oh yeah, that that, that was <laughs> that, that was the impetus to start the podcast. I thought, oh boy, here's something we can talk about. You're like, oh. you're, you're, you're like, I found a sucker to get on here and talk with. Oh, me. I was heated. Oh, I was heated. <laughs> I'm still heated about that. That you know, people are like people are just like Mark. Let it go. I, I'll never let it go. I'll never let it go. Hey, didn't we do an episode on forgiveness recently? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. Um and, no, then he, but... and, and then he wrote that that follow-up letter back in June where he sort of expounds upon his ideas of why he wrote Traditionis Custodes. And it basically was like, well, if the old right was so good, they wouldn't have changed it. And I was like, that's your man. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't care if you're not a, a liturgist or a liturgical theologian, but Bro, don't wade into waters. You clearly, you, you don't even have a basic interest in this. I, I would venture to guess that Francis has never even attended a traditional Latin mass. He doesn't even know. I bet you money he doesn't even know the differences between the Novus Ordo and the traditional Latin mass. I'll bet I'm, you money. I'm sure Supich does. Yeah, Supich doesn't. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah. So, don't even get me started on that guy. Yeah, so we'll... <clears throat> I guess if you don't have anything to say, we, we can go ahead and wrap it up here. We're about right. an hour hour yeah. in. Um, I just did want to make closing comments, and then I'll please pitch it over to you if you have anything. Um, just for any of our listeners, um, today I, I started making uh, YouTube shorts. They're just max one-minute videos. I thought maybe just trying to do a saint of the day. If Mark wants to jump in on it, he's more than uh, welcome to to do that, of course. we So – you know, it's just a way to stay active and give out information. I, th I thought a saint of a day, saint of the day, might be good. I'm not going to promise to do it every day, but check it out if you like it or you want to see something else done on these little shorts. Let us know. Um, of course, so subscribe, like our channel, share it with people. It's growing. You know, it's it, it's growing slowly, but it's growing, and we appreciate every single follower because I, you know, we do uh, we do need you guys to to keep doing this you know we we enjoy having the interaction but um anyway i enjoy doing this podcast so much and i'm so frustrated i don't spend more time doing yeah. it yeah so so i guess what I, I guess what i was getting at is yeah i mean i really enjoy it and i really appreciate all, all our followers and the interaction that we get <laughs> um so but keep a lookout because we've got a few things coming down the pipe pretty quick actually monday i am going to be on avoiding babylon um, talking about the Anabaptist. Mark uh, is 50-50 right now. He may be able to make it. Um, but what we're going to do with that is if you don't catch it on Avoiding Babylon, we're going to cut an intro and put it on our channel as well. Uh, Tuesday, we're scheduled to have uh, Angela Erickson. She's been on the show before. We're going to talk to her about crisis pregnancy centers. Um, and then sometime next week, we're planning to have 
uh, Jeremiah uh, from the Paleocrat Diaries come on, and we're going to talk about the charismatic Catholic movement within the church. That should be a very interesting I one. Have so and many then, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> same here. So uh, we should get all those out within the next week or two, um, and then we're going to try to keep up. Uh, Roughly, I guess, best we can, maybe at least one episode a week on the on this series of the different uh, churches within the Catholic Church. Yeah, for sure. Um, guys, I don't have anything else other than thank you all for sticking with us. And thank you all so much oh, for, for watching. And get merch yeah, online. Go, go, go down into the description and go to our shop and pick up some, some merchandise and, uh, and, and drink coffee. Drink, drink modernist tears because they're so delicious. Um, that's all I got, guys. And uh, life is short, but it's hard. Life is short. Life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. See, I can, I can still talk. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm still rambling like normal. I kind of got oh lost in the whole outro. I'm going to bed after this, and I think I'm going to sleep probably until the second coming. So, um, yeah, my kids won't let me. <laughs> Otherwise, I would. God bless everybody. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you soon. All right. God bless.